Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, my friends out there in Blog Talk Radio land. Excited, excited to be with here here with you. This is what the 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 Saturday following the uh, the week before after Father's Day. So we just it is also the first day of summer. So this is a, a wonderful day, and it's gorgeous here to sit and look at my office window uh, across the sky and at the trees. It's just a beautiful, beautiful day out there, and I hope it's is equally beautiful where you are. And I, I welcome you again to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this Saturday, June 21st. I, I, I have to always acknowledge our loyal listeners. We're going into our 11th year on the air, and there's so many listeners who've been with us every step of the way when we were over at Blake Radio, which I, I, I encourage people to check out uh, Blake Radio. It's owned by Neil Blake. He has the best smooth. I love his jazz that he plays over there uh, on his uh, at his station. But that's where we started, and then we came over to to Blog Talk Radio, and there are people who've been with us all along the way, and I mean going on 11 years now. So I want to thank our loyal listeners, and I also want to thank you if you've just joined the team of off-the-shelf listeners and you know the guests we've brought before you. Some of the guests, as I say, have gone on to appear on CNN. They've gone to appear on TV One. They've, they've gone on to do exceptionally well. And, and national and international formats. So we've had some wonderful guests on Off the Shelf, and we have another wonderful guest we'll bring present to you today that I'll tell you more about in, in just a few minutes. But we're very excited about today's show. And what I really appreciate about the guests is they share such valuable information that, and I mean practical information, that people can use in their lives if they're dealing with a similar situation or they have a similar goal, whether they're trying to get a business off the ground, they're dealing with a, a challenge in their personal lives, they want to learn how to market and, and publish and sell their own books, our guests are so open, so gracious that they just willingly share information that if you had to pay for it, you probably would pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for it. So I thank our guests. They help to make off-the-shelf just a great, great talk show. And I, I wanted to those who, it might be your first time tuning in, I'd like to introduce myself. And I always tell people I'm your host, Denise Turney, coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. And thank you, thank you, thank you again for your support. Please pick up a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. If you like mystery and romance and friendship, you are really going to enjoy Love Pour Over Me as it, it delves into a relationship between a man and a woman and a, and a, and a wonderful, rich relationship and a, a, a complicated, very complicated relationship between a father and a son. And you can see how each of these relationships uh, change these people. I really, really encourage you, if you value relationships, to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can get it in ebook or print form. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, ebook it, and you can read free excerpts at my website, which is chistel dot com, c h i s t e l l dot com. So please go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me, and I thank you, thank you for your support. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest, and our special guest today is Demetria, and she goes by D. I, I can see. 
I've done my research for today's show. I've, I'm going to try to call her D and not to make sure she says okay if I do. I love her as a beautiful first name, Demetria D. Grissette. And she's born in Baltimore, Maryland, and she's been working in education for more than 25 years. She currently works as a career and technical education coordinator, and Dee is also a member of Oak Grove Missionary Baptist Church. Inspiration for her, the, the genesis, the inspiration behind her first book came after she, was, she faced a challenge in her life as some of our guests might be dealing with a similar or different challenge themselves. And that challenge for her came after she was diagnosed with multiple, and I hope I don't pronounce it wrong, myeloma. If I do, I hope Dee, when she comes on the line, corrects me. And in addition to being a wife, Dee is also mom to two wonderful sons. And you can learn more about Dee and her book, In Sickness and in Health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma by visiting her website at it is very simple, dgrissette.com. So it's just the H-T-T-P, the forward slashes, dgrissette.com, and that's D-E-E-G-R-I-S-S-E-T-T.com. You can type it in even now, learn more about her, even as you listen to today's show. And, again, that is dgrissette.com, D-E-E-G-R-I-S-S-E-T-T.com. Ett.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, D. Thank you, thank you, Denise. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. You know, and again, I always say I always learn something from every show we give. And we've done shows that are the shows stay in the archives, and I see the the stats when I go and I look at the analytics. We've had shows that have aired. I mean, years ago, that people still find a favorite because there is so much that was shared in it that people want to hear over and over again. So it's just a huge blessing. I want to. I always start with our off the shelf shows by giving our listeners some background, some backstory on our guests, so they can start to become more familiar with our guests, even as we go deeper and deeper into the show. So I want to begin. I know, like many major cities. Being in Philadelphia, Baltimore is about, I don't know, probably a little less than two hours away from Philadelphia where I live, actually, in Ben Salem. But I know it's had its share of challenges, Baltimore. I wanted to ask you, when you were a kid, what was Baltimore like growing up for you? What was the city like? It was just fun to me um, because that was all I knew. I mean, it was fun all the way around. If I if I would go back to live, probably not. <laughs> um, you know, growing up, I didn't know I was in the midst of so much crime. But like I said, mm. it was normal for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen people get killed over parking spaces right in front of me or, wow. you know, things that have happened. But as a child, you just kind of, you know. You're used to seeing it, so it's the norm. You know, it wasn't until I came and left that, you know, I really saw the difference, and I was like, wow, I was living in that, <laughs> you know. But it it was a great lifestyle for me. Um, only child, um, had a lot of male cousins that I grew up with, so I had a lot of, like, protective mm-hmm. you know, brother cousins, um, but... My life was wonderful. I've, I've truly been blessed. 
Well, you know what is so funny when you're a kid? <laughs> it's so funny when you're a kid. You you do you just I don't know, and maybe that's one of the be- beautiful things about being a child. You focus in on the positive. You focus in on the fun you're having with your family, and you don't. You really almost don't even see the negatives until we start to get older and older. Maybe we need to become a little more childlike. But that is interesting. I've, all the guests we've had on the show, and I ask them about growing up in Atlanta, and they'll say it's really changed. When I was a kid, it was safer, and it was this way, and it was that way. And almost any city you talk about, when when you think about it, your childhood at home, uh, what you said you're an only child. What did yeah. you dream of becoming when you were a kid? What did, what did you dream that that you wanted to be when you were a child? I had two aspirations, actually, Denise. I wanted to be in law enforcement, and I also wanted to be an English teacher, an English mm. or math teacher. And I became and why, <laughs> I was going to ask you next why education, but why those two? Why those two? Were you real exceptionally good in math and English and you just wanted to help others to become equally exceptional at those subjects? I think so, for that part, yes, because even now I'm a stickler for um, correct spelling, correct Mm. English, (laughs) you know. um, My dad used to always correct me as I was speaking, like I would say, oh, my teacher she and I, you know, this. he's like, no, not she, your teacher and you. You know, he was always correcting mm-hmm. me as I was speaking. Mm-hmm. And then in written format, I was always just wanting to watch his spelling. I love, like, being in spelling bees. And I was spelling tests. You know, I, I like all of that. And even now, if I'm going somewhere, I'm always, oh, they misspelled that word. They misspelled that <laughs> word. That's not the right sentence, you know. A lot of people always give me things to read before they send it out here. You always, you know, correcting stuff. Um, <laughs> and math, I do love math, um, just like crunching numbers. And I worked as a financial aid counselor for 18 years of my life, and I think that's where that came into play. Some said, you know, why didn't you want to be an accountant? I don't think you have a lot of um, people interaction with accountants. You know, being a financial aid counselor, I was always around people, always around students, you know, faculty, and I like that people interaction. Okay. And law enforcement enforcement kind of came about, I just, I guess seeing the crime that I did see growing up, I always Mm -hmm. wanted to change it, you know, but Uh. it got too rough, and that's why I put that to the side. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What? So you told us why you you want, you chose math or English. Education is tough, and it's certainly at that time when you were wanting to go into education. And I don't know if you worked as a teacher in a classroom. Perhaps you could share that with our listeners. But why would you choose education when you hear the stories of how tough it is uh, to handle a classroom? Even to be an administrator, a school, my sister is a school administrator in Ohio, and she used to be a school teacher. It's tough. What 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 inspired you to want to go into this field? Well, like I said, well, for 18 years I did financial aid counseling, so I was at the university level, you know, the college level, so I wasn't really in a classroom. 
I didn't come to the public school system until 2005. Um, and it is challenging now. Each seems like each class of students that come in, you know, way different than previous. Mm. And it's far different than, of course, like you said, when I was in school. I mean, when I was in school, you know, you did something wrong, the teacher could do something to you. You know what yeah. I mean? And then you went yeah. home mm-hmm. and you got it from your parents. <laughs> you know? Right. And it's not like that now. You know, everybody's not everybody's mother like it used to be or father, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to now watch what you say to kids or watch what you do. It's a limit. When I was growing up, there were no limits. You know, you could beat <laughs> them on the head, the butt, you know, everywhere. Um, yeah. So it is I- a challenge. Um but but we need great educators, so I'm, I appreciate that you did go in. Whatever role you play, we we do need that. I want I want to just talk about two more things when it comes to education, and one that because of your 18 years of experience as a financial aid counselor, you might be able to help a lot of our listeners who can go back and help their children, their their, their nieces, nephews, grandchildren, godchildren. We could go on and on. Being that you had this experience as a financial aid counselor for 18 years, Dee, what advice would you give to someone or parent of a child who's looking to finance a college education today, which is just the cost of just keep going up, so they don't they're not buried in student loan debt when they graduate? Well, the very first thing I would say is to do your FAFSA, which we use a lot of acronyms in education, uh, free application for federal student aid. That's the uh, financial, aid cap, financial aid application for all funds. That's federal funds, state funds, institutional funds. So file that, that FAFSA early. And when I say early, I mean like by March. But the catch with that is that parents have to do their uh, tax information, you know, because you need your tax form to complete your FAFSA. And you could still complete the FAFSA, but you could base it on estimated tax information if you haven't done it. But the catch with that is that, you know, by for the, stu- the schools to award a student, you know, your information has to be accurate. So that kind of, you know, holds up the process that, they're still awarding financial aid while your your information is still uh, under verification. You know what I okay. mean? So if you do it early and do it accurately with the correct tax information, you know, you get a better package because the funds are there, uh, you know, before they start awarding it out. And then you're finished like in April or May, and uh, they've already awarded a lot of it. So the real catch is to doing it. Early. That's what I stress to everybody. I mean, I went through a private school, Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte. I went through my four years without a student loan. Actually did my master's at Fayetteville State without a student loan. And mm. currently my old my oldest son is in his just completed his second year at ECU. No student loan. And a lot of people ask you, oh, you know the secrets. You know, you know all and the secrets. I'm sitting here thinking that whatever. right now. And I'm, I'm sitting like, here thinking is, that right now. <laughs> you know, no, you know like, some inside no secrets. 
Really? Right. That's what they say. Oh, you know the secret because you worked in uh, There is no secret. I'm not doing anything that anybody else or that I have not even helped other people because even though I'm still not working in financial aid, people always ask me because they know I do that, you know. Can you help me fill out my password? And I do it, you know. Um, but there's no catch. You just got to do it early. And a lot of times, you know, with tax forms, you know, parents tend to procrastinate or wait, but that's at a disadvantage to your student, you know. Ah. So the, the catch is to just do it early. Like I said, I went through my whole time. I have not had a student loan, and hopefully my son won't have to. We're halfway there with him. So it's just doing it early. And then a lot of times if once you get awarded and you think that, um, you know, Man, I still need a little bit more help. I don't have everything. It's just as simple as making a phone call to the counselor, the financial aid. Usually, you know, each student has a certain financial aid counselor um, that handles their file, and you would just call, and maybe if your family's going through a particular situation, a, a certain hardship, you know, there may be funds, there may not be, you know, um, so it, it's, it's no magic, but it's just doing it early because the, the money's fresh and out there. And schools tend to award a lot of freshmen, um, well, pretty early on because, of course, they want to get that group in there. And then right. they award, you know, the underclassmen. Really? So, See, so. there's some advice. I, I didn't know anything. Now, falling early I knew, but I did not know that they they want to get that class in. It's a little bit oh, of marketing, yeah. and and yeah. so they the freshmen get. Uh, what about scholarships? Did you you said you you didn't take out a student loan masters? You, did you take advantage of scholarships? Did you with all your money grants, or did you get scholarships as well? For me personally, grad you talking about graduate or undergraduate level? Your, your undergrad and grad. You said you never took out a student loan. I never took out a student loan. Actually, during my undergrad, um, I had Pell Grant. I had what they call SEOG Grant, which is Supplemental Educational Opportunity Grant, and it's just another grant. If you're Pell eligible, you're eligible for SEOG. Um, I also had Work Study which is great for students to get, you know, um, and that's pretty much where you're working to earn your money. Like they may award you $3,000 in work study. Now, you don't get that automatically. A lot of students say, oh, I got that. You have to work to get that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's good. There? Like I said, there are a lot of there are state grants. Like for North Carolina, we have the um, – there are two grants, the NCCG grant, which is North Carolina Contracted Grant, and there's NCLTG grant, which is a grant if you're going to a private North Carolina school. So there are a lot of state grants. Um, and then, yeah, there are scholarships, um, and you pretty much have to do a lot of Googling and searching for scholarships. A lot of times the schools do have their institutional scholarships, but, I mean, then you have scholarships like McDonald's has scholarships, Burger King, Walmart. Mm -hmm. So you got to kind of, you know, do your searching and surfing on the web to get outside scholarships like that. 
Okay. That is valuable information that our guests can benefit from every time they listen to this show. So that's the type of information we like to share, and we really appreciate you sharing so our guests can, who knows how many people might benefit from just that bit of advice that you shared. Now, you were born, you're native of Baltimore, Maryland. Now you picked up and moved to North Carolina. (laughs) Why did you, what made you move to North Carolina before we start talking about your book next? What from Maryland to North Carolina? Why would you decide to make that move to make that shift? To go Did your to job move and you had to? No, I had graduated from high school and I attended Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, and love it, love it. Now when I went there in '87, I tell you what, I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, okay. I did not like it. I was ready to come back home. Um, it was because of my roommate at that time primarily that I stayed, and she was from New Jersey. And we clicked, and she was actually a sophomore. So she got to show me a lot, uh, you know, around the town and everything, which it wasn't, Charlotte wasn't then like it is now. Um, but I stayed, I enjoyed it, and I stayed. She ended up leaving and went back home. Um, but that was that was the the shift difference. And actually, Charlotte started growing. As I stayed there, Charlotte grew, and I grew with it. It reminded me. It was like a mini Baltimore. And I said, mm, I could stay here. I like this. You know, so. Um, yeah, it's it, there, it's a big finance, banking area, uh, Charlotte. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so um, it, it's good to hear that it's, that it's growing. And, and uh, I know they're like, the, what is it, the South, there's a South End or something that I've heard is really a nice part of Charlotte. But there's a lot going on down there now. So that's it, a good it, thing. Very much. And that's not where I'm living now, though, but that's another whole story. <laughs> okay. I'm actually in Lumberton. <laughs> I live in Lumberton, North Carolina right now, which is about two hours away. Oh. I tell a lot of people I'm here by marriage because this is where my husband is from, and okay. he didn't like Charlotte. He thought Charlotte was too fast, and I think Charlotte really? was too slow. So yes. yeah, well, you're from Baltimore, so you you have another something else to compare to. Now I want to talk exactly. about your yeah. I want to talk about your book. Can you share with our listeners what? Because every physician doesn't test for multiple myeloma. What? What made you decide to go get a, a special test to, and then you discovered you had this? What made you decide to go get this test? What, what was going on? What made you, what prompted you to well, get tested? Well, Denise, it, it actually wasn't a test per se. I was just at a normal, you know, doctor's appointment uh, checkup, and she said my blood work looked kind of, it was actually my white blood cell count that kind of, you know, didn't look right. And she said, nothing to be alarmed about. We're just going to keep watching it. It looks mm-hmm. a little abnormal. So the next visit, because it was very low at that time. Well, the next visit, it was up. So it was kind of normal. She was like, okay, you know, you okay. Maybe something happened at that time. But we're still going to watch it. Well, the next visit, it went back down. And the next visit, it went down even more until it, kind of kept going down, down until it bottomed out, and they said, whoa, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and even I at that time didn't know how serious white blood cells were to our body. You know, that fights off infection. 
And, of course, if you don't have any, then, I mean, just a simple sneeze could, you know, mm. from someone could, you know, kind of knock you out. So she sent me to um, our the local cancer center here just to see an oncologist, you know, to have my blood work checked. So she didn't say that I had, you know, any type of cancer or anything. She just said, I want you to, you know, have your blood work checked. And um, for multiple myeloma at that time, and this was almost four, this was four years ago, well, five years ago almost, um, they said they didn't have anyone younger than 65 to have this. They said multiple myeloma is the elderly disease. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to say that I had that. But the, out, the, the outlining symptom of the low white blood cell count is really what drove it because that was the only symptom I had. I didn't have, um, they said you should be excessively tired and um, you should have a lot of back pain. And I didn't have those. It was just my low white blood cell count. And they didn't want to diagnose me that I had that. They said, no, you're you're, you're in excellent health, you know. Not mm. tired. And I said, I guess because I'm, I was basketball mom and baseball mom and soccer mom and and youth advisor at church, you know, I was too busy, I guess, to be tired. Right. Um, so then they sent me to Duke Medical Center, and that was where I got my official diagnosis. Mm. Um, and they just ran, just, they didn't run any special tests, but they just um, did a lot of blood work and EKG. CT scan, MRIs, did bone surveys. Um, one thing they did do a lot of was a, a bone biopsy, where they took a long needle, stuck it in my side, and Ooh. they pretty much numb your bone. They take it to the bone because they numb your bone. They actually go in you three times. They put the needle in to numb your bone go back in, they take a piece of your bone, go back in and go inside the bone to get what we call the juice out or the plasma cells Mm -hmm. out, Mm -hmm. and that's a bone marrow biopsy. That was probably the worst out of everything that I went through, and I had to do that a number of times. Wow, Before they, because they want to get the correct diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, how long? Yeah. How long after you were diagnosed with the multiple myeloma, which is a bone marrow cancer, how long after that did you think about sitting down and writing a book? Well, I had no intention of writing a book. I'll say that up front. But when I began my chemo, I just started writing, just keeping a journal for me just because it was a relief off my mind, you know, of not really telling someone how I feel verbally but just writing it because there were a lot of other outlining things going on other than the cancer. Like I had, um, my grandmother was very sick, my grandmother at home in Baltimore. And actually when they told me something was wrong with my blood work, I attributed it to that of being Uh, worried about your grandmother. Yeah, yeah, because that started, she kind of got sick about 2008, which was the same time that this came up with, you know, your blood work looks kind of strange. And I said, oh, it's just, I'm going home. Because at that time, 
I was going home every other weekend, which was a yeah. I drive every other weekend to check on my grandmother. I said, eh, it's just, you know, wear and tear on me. That's all because, you know, my grandmother's sick and I got to check on her. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, this is more than that. Um, but that's what I thought that it was. And like I said, then when they, you know, told me I had that and then I'm trying to, you know, I'm thinking about my grandmother and there were a lot right. of things just going on. And um, uh-huh. so I just kept a journal of you know, how I was feeling, how I'm dealing with still going home and not telling her or my mother's side of the family about the chemo because I didn't want it to get back to my grandmother. Just I was just writing feelings, writing everything mm. that I was going through, but never wow. intended on, on putting it into a book. At the, probably after a year, someone said, you know, you need to put this into a book because... It's inspirational. It's, it's motivational to tell somebody, you know, we're all going through something. Yeah. Not the same thing. You know, you right. have emotional situations, medical, you know, every relationship, everybody's going through something. And it was just, it's a book to say that, hey, you got to keep going. You got to have faith and keep going. Because truth be told, there were times I wanted to quit. I didn't want to go through that chemo. I was like, mm Right. You just took a line out of one of my questions. How many times <laughs> does a guest do that? It's like you're reading, you're reading my, doing my <laughs> research I did. I wanted to, wanted to uh, before I ask you to give an overview of the book, can you okay. tell, for our off-the-shelf listeners, they might be dealing with the exact same thing you are, we don't know, or something another challenge can you share how you overcame what did you do to get over the hump with some of those hardest times of going through the treatments etc and then with your grandmother and all, what did you do to get over the hump when you just thought i can't do anymore this is it i can't go on what did you do to, to be able to continue to go forward well for me it was i say the three f it was Faith, family, and friends that got me through. Mm. Because I, I prayed like I never prayed before. And, and truly for me during that time, that's when my faith was tested. Because, you know, well, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, you know, I said, yeah, I believe God. I mean, I've, I've been saved since 13, been, you know, brought up in the church. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, I, I trust and believe God. I have faith. But then when you're hit up, you know, you're in between a rock and a hard place, mm. and, you know, God is saying, okay, do you still have faith? You know what I'm saying? It's not so easy to right. say it when, you know, you feel like your world is crumbling. Mm. Um, so definitely my faith and my family, like I said, I was ready to quit. I was ready, you know, I didn't want to take the chemo, and, um, you know, I actually... It told my husband at one time, right in at the beginning, you know, not knowing what I was going to get into, but I told him, I said, look, baby, you could leave me if you want to. I'm not going to let nobody talk bad about you. You know, I'm not going to let them say, oh, you left me because I got sick or whatever. And, you know, I said, just go ahead because I don't want you to have to, you know, go through something bad because of me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, and you're crazy. He said, when we took those vows, we, I said, in sickness and in health. And ah. that was the worst. That's, that's what I meant. Okay. We're going to go through this together. 
Yeah. And, um, and that's actually where I got the kind the title okay. of the insignificant and, and health was a tribute to him because he could have left me. You know, I I know personally some people that their spouses left them when they got wow. cancer, and I just was gonna let him. You know, kind of. I was giving him the leash, like. Okay, yeah, you like, opening the door for him. You, you can. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, you could go ahead, and I ain't gonna be yeah. mad. But he was like, no, uh, uh. He said it's not like that. We're gonna go through this together, and actually. In the middle of getting chemo, he got very sick, too, so it was the caregiver taking care of the caregiver. You know, <laughs> it was, it, like I said, there were a lot of things going on. Um, yeah. So he really kept me rooted. My my mother, who had been at home taking care of my grandmother the whole time, and then when she passed, she stayed with me. And, mm-hmm. and I, that's a big tribute because my mother lost, to me, a lot of her life because, like I said, she... She actually lives in South Carolina, but she stayed, what, that was almost a year and a half in, in Baltimore taking care of my grandmother, and then when mm-hmm. I said she passed and stayed here. So she missed being home, you know, for missed a big portion of her life, but she kept me rooted, and, you know, there are a lot of family members, you know, aunt that went with me twice a week going to Duke, which is a two-hour drive, you know, there and mm-hmm. back, and, you know, my family just kept me rooted. My church family, um, everybody, just my coworkers. It, you know, everybody pushes you. When you have that, you can't let them down. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. It's good to have support for anything we go through. They say people who tend to live the longest. They don't always eat the healthiest or exercise the most, but they have a strong network, people that they love, they know love them. They say it makes a huge, huge difference. Now, uh, how did writing In Sickness and in Health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma, how did, it, how did that, you said faith, family, friends, how did writing the book help you? And did you write the book, Dee, while you were going through your treatments, or did you write the book? I know you were journaling, but did you write the book after your treatment were finished? Well, the the book is actually my personal journal. So oh, okay. It, it is my personal journal from the beginning of the diagnosis to. I don't say it was an ending, but like after my, I had a bone marrow transplant. And then I had to go through a six-month recovery period. So it was pretty much right at the end of the recovery period that I kind of cut it off because I said, well, when someone mentioned about turning it into a book, I said, well, I'm still going to be journaling, you know, but Mm. I knew I had to make a cutoff if I wanted to turn it into a book. But it's my personal journal. So, I mean, I was writing the whole time during my chemo, during my marrow transplant, during everything I was writing, and I just turned my personal journal, just turned it into a book. Now, can you give us, you said you start with the the diagnosis. Is it is the book literally, literally, I'm thinking like Anne Frank's book, is it is it laid out in that similar format where it's, well, one journal entry could say June twenty first, two thousand fourteen, okay. and what you what what you went through, your feelings about certain things, and then the next day, is it written like would somebody reading your book be re- reading like an actual personal 
word-for-word journal of what you went through, or do you more, like, offer in there, uh, I'm thinking more of a, like a structured autobiography or where you give advice or uh, different things that you cover outside of the illness, just trying to give our off-the-shelf listeners a clear view of are these strictly journal entries or is there some writing in there that's not in a journal entry form? It's pretty much straight journal. I mean, I have my dates and everything. You know, the only thing I did take out were the actual times because when I journal, I put, you know, date and time. I didn't put the times, but you see the actual dates, and it's my actual word-for-word journal. I didn't take anything out. I mean, you knew how I felt, the good, bad, and ugly. (laughs) Um, But I did, however, incorporate a lot of medical terminology, things that I didn't know because, to be honest, when they told me I had this, I had never heard of it. You know, we always hear about breast cancer. You hear about Mm -hmm. leukemia. And I never heard of multiple myeloma because I personally didn't have anyone in my family on either side of my family to have cancer. So it was a big shock, you know, you could imagine, for the family, being the only child, too. Um, So I had never heard of it. And learned a lot, and I did incorporate that into my journals as well, like um, knowing your 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 count, your white blood cell count, um, when I went through the bone marrow transplant, when I went through what's called the freezes, where they separate my blood and the stem cells, because I, for my bone marrow transplant, some people have donors, but they use my own stem cells for my transplant. So a lot oh. of you'll see a lot of medical terminology um in there things that I learned when I was going you know, through. So somebody reading your book, uh, again and the, the title for off the shelf listeners is In Sickness and in Health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma. Somebody reading your book who might get a diagnosis well they w- would probably have to get maybe the specific illness to follow it directly. But if they had another illness that was cancer-related, they might be able to get an idea of what to expect, uh, mm-hmm. maybe some of the hard thinking listeners who could, that could benefit them uh, as they were reading the book. Uh, I want to ask you, and how did writing this book change you as a person? Well, it, it changed me for the simple fact that, you know, I, how can I put this, that, you know, we ask for things, and sometimes you might get it in a format that you don't expect. And I'll give you an example. I used to always say that I wanted to be a motivational or inspirational ah. speaker. Always said that. And and then, really, I'm not one to really speak a lot because I'm, I'm really kind of an introvert. I'm not an extrovert at all. And, you know, the two kind of mixed. But in doing this book, I have been doing just wow. what I kind of wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. now I have a subject to speak about. You know, you can't speak on something if you haven't been through it. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Because I've been through this, I've been helping a lot of people 
more, a lot of people more who have myeloma, but just like I said, anybody in general, because we're all going through something. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but helping that- a lot of those in the medical arena, like you said, with any type of cancer, leukemia, breast cancer. Um, and I, at Duke, there were a lot of people that I was there with that I know who didn't make it with myeloma. They, they, their bodies were either too weak and they couldn't do the transplant or just mm. health-wise. They, I mean, I, I can't count them on one hand how many people I know who passed away with myeloma. And then I've even asked God that. I'm like, God, why did do you have me here, you know, because I could have been one of them. Right. Especially the fight that I put up with that I didn't want to take the chemo and do this and that. But, you know, I said, well, he's kept me here so that I can share my story and help Mm. others who are going through. And we thank you for doing that. Now, have you ever thought about getting your book in hospitals and medical centers, especially like gift shops, or have you ever thought about that? Have you tried to get them in? To, uh, I haven't. I have. I have sent. Um, I have postcards that have, you know, my book synopsis and information and things like that. And I have sent them um, to several, a, a couple of a hundred cancer centers, you know, across the United States, just by googling and getting the addresses. And I have sent them. And I have um, received responses back from people that. You know, I don't know them, but they say, I picked up your postcard at, you know, this cancer center and, you know, really liked your book and everything like that. So, ah, okay. Yeah. Hopefully you, so will, not you my can phys- get Not my physical book is there, but the informa- the postcards and information, you know, I asked them if they would put it in their, you know, lounge area, things like that. Maybe There might be a, a, a system that hospitals and clinics go through to get their books. I know for colleges and universities, there's systems, and the military has systems you have to go through. I don't know mm-hmm. what they are for hospitals and clinics, but you might want to do a little research, and if you could get some a contact in those systems, you might be able to get your book in dozens of hospitals or clinics just by getting it in right. the right system. So uh, right. rather than going from hospital individually and clinic individually, there may be a system they use you could maybe ask somebody in a, in a, at a gift okay. shop or something, and then just get it in the, maybe one or three of those systems, and then you you it, your book could be in dozens of hospitals and clinics. I find that a lot of big organizations they they just purchase their stuff through certain systems, and if you right. can get in that system, then they can purchase your book. And what have readers been saying about in health and in, in sickness and in health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma? What have readers what have they been saying to you about the book? Well, a lot of, uh, some, many are saying how it's inspirational and, you know, for them, for what they're going through. And that's what my goal was in, in writing it. Um, a lot of people have told me how I'm very personal that, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know if I would have put all my business out there. But... <laughs> To me, if if I didn't, then I'd be taken away from what I want my goal to be. You know, it, mm-hmm. you know, if I took that out, that would that would make a difference in a person going on or giving up. You know, 
Yeah. That was real. It's real and it's raw because that's that's what it was. I didn't want to, oh, let me take that out because that might hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, no, let me take that out. I mean, it's my actual personal journal, so. um, Wow. Yeah, having a lot of of good reviews. I'm sure, and in your family, I'm sure it was even as, even though they've known you for years, it was probably insightful to them as well. Now, do you do you you were to, you were talking about motivational speaking and how this could was the tool that helped you to do that. Now, of course, the person doesn't have to get sick to be a motivational speaker, but it's odd how that channeled you down a direct path. Do you hold? Do you do public speaking events and share your experiences to inspire others? Uh, and if you do, can you share a few? memorable public speaking experiences that you've been a part of? Uh, let me think. Uh, Denise, because I've, I've been to a lot of book festivals. Um, I do a lot of literacy type of events. Um, and I just last, week before last, Sunday before, Saturday before last, the National Cancer Survivors Day, the community ah. college here, Robinson Community College, uh-huh. um, asked me to speak. And actually they had like several different topics, had about eight topics, and mine was introduction to journaling. Oh, okay. And they said it was because, you know, number one, because I, I am a cancer survivor, um, and two, I journaled, and they they encouraged me to do because I initially didn't want to do it. I'm like, I'm no, you know, big time person that, you know, I don't have no bestseller mm-hmm. book or anything, you know. <laughs> but they said, but you've done it and you could help other yes. cancer patients that if they journal, because journaling is a, a type of therapy and mm-hmm. it does, you know, help you. And in the middle of that, that's where my speaking, I, I spoke to them about my, um, you know, situation and everything. Now, 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 Dee, now you've written a book and published a book. You've got that under your belt, something that a lot of people would love to do but maybe still in the process of doing. That said, you've got one under your belt. You've got your feet wet. Do you plan on writing another nonfiction book or perhaps even a novel? You know, I'm not sure, Denise, and I get that question asked all the time. I tell everybody, you know, I didn't intend on writing that one, so I don't know if I'll write another one. Hopefully if I write another one, it won't be about that subject. Right. But um, I, I don't know. I have to be led to, and I really want to, but I, I'm not sure what topic I want to write about. I really do want to write another one, but I'm just, I don't know what to write about. Would it be yes, a, a novel or it, you said it would? I said I, I I'm, don't know what the topic would be, but I know something's going to come. Would it be okay. a novel, though, or another nonfiction book? Do you know? Are you leaning I'm towards a sure. novel? Oh, you're not sure. Well, you, if, sure. if you do, please let us know so we can let our listeners know. If you, if you, you, this could be the beginning of a writing career. You never know. 
it could right. just be your your first book that leads into another book that leads into another book, or maybe even fiction writing. How do you? And I, I like to ask our guests this question because a lot of our guests they juggle so much. Your wife, your mom, you work in academia. How how did you find? How do you find a time to juggle? And also the writing, you, 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 we we're ho- we're hoping because I love books that there's that there is another book in you that you're gonna let come out. But how do you find a time to juggle it all? I don't know. It, it's that's been in me just just to be busy. <laughs> I've always been a busy person, even throughout school. I mean, I was active in everything. It seems um, not. Pro- probably everything but sports-wise, you know. I mean, I didn't really play a lot of sports. Um, but I was always in everything, and even in college, undergrad, I was in everything. It's just always been me to be busy. Everybody who knows me know I'm, I'm always busy. I'm never still except when I'm sleeping, and that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm, I'm just always busy now. Um, like I said, I have one son off in college, have one who just started high school, um, was busy with him all year because he was in band. He was in ROTC. He was in football. Oh, okay. He was in bowling team. Then I'm very active with my youth at church. Um, so I'm just, I'm just all, that's just been in my blood. And my grandmother actually was always a busy woman. She never stayed still about me being at her hip, you know. I, I'm just, I'm just busy. You picked up her ways. Now, now, writing yeah, and pub- yeah. publishing a book is the first step. Then you have to sell the book. What can you share with our off-the-shelf listeners, especially those who might really, their interest is like sharp and sharp and sharp. And I always ask our guests this, and they share. People can listen, our, our listeners. If you hear people say the, some common things that you might be able to try, and then we have some guests who come up with unique, clever things that they found that work for them. What four or maybe even just two to three marketing steps have you found that work for you to spread the word about your book? Now, you said you, you've done the postcards and you're finding the right audience, like the cancer centers, to get those to. What other steps have you taken to get more exposure for in sickness and in health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma? I go to, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of um, book festivals and literacy celebrations. I actually last week was in South Carolina at the South Carolina Literacy Celebration. Um, I tend to go a lot of places where I know people. Like I, I, I tear up Maryland, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and I'm looking to ex- expand to Florida um, this okay. year. But um, so as I'm at these locations, I'll send out information, like I said, with the postcards. Um, as well as social media to let all of my friends know. Because you don't want to go somewhere and you don't know anybody, people won't come, you know. So I go where I know people, and as I invite them, I could tell them, invite your friends, invite your church family, invite your, you know, everybody. And that kind of draws people. Um, and I've been very successful, been very successful with that. You know like what? Said, You're the first. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, no, I was no. gonna say I don't want to go somewhere where I don't know anybody because the, the people just won't come. You know, I mean, you you have to push it hard. You'll have you'll have some that will come. I don't say nobody will come. You'll have some that will come. Like I said, my my audience is very specific. You know, mm-hmm, because right. I only catch those that are maybe going through a health situation or know someone who's going through mm-hmm. a health situation or you know. Are interested in the medical field. That that's my my audience. So um. you are one of the first guests, and that's, a, that's a tell you that our guests always share such valuable information. And it's not by plan; it just happens. Who said I always go where I know somebody? And writers tend to sometimes just want to write. And I know you, you 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 don't you may not consider yourself to be a writer. I do hope you write another book, and I only say that because I love to read. But um, writers don't. The marketing part is like writers get squeamish, like they don't want to do that piece of it. But when you say go somewhere where you know someone, and then ask those people, tell people you know, and then tell people, ask them to tell people they know. That's how you get a crowd out. Uh, that's a good piece of advice for off-the-shelf listeners who, whether you're in business or you're in liter- literature and you you have a book that you've published and you, you're marketing it, whatever it is you want to get exposure for, and gain, it could be yourself, whether you're a comedian or you do motivational speaking and you want to get more exposure for it to go as Dee said, where you know somebody and ask them, tell people you know, and then just keep it going, keep it going, keep it going until you have a crowd. And so that's a good, good piece of advice, and I thank you for sharing it. We only have very, very few minutes left. Um, I, de- I wanted, wanted to ask you, you know, your book has inspired other people. Can you very briefly tell us about some of the people who have inspired you over your life's journey so far? Well, definitely um, my mom and my grandmother who passed. Um, Very, very, I I can't list everyone. I mean, like I said, just my family in general um, have really pushed me and inspired me. Um, My church family, my sorority, I mean, the list goes on and on. I've I've been blessed to be around positive people who have pushed me and inspired me. That 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 is that is and and we all need that. Uh, we all need that. Where can off the shelf listeners get a copy of your book, D and Sickness and in Health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma? Give us as many options as you you know the book has. Is it in ebook, is it in print? If you could just let our listeners know. It is an ebook format, print format. You can um, get it from Amazon website, uh, Barnes and Noble website, Books a Million website, or you can go to my personal website, which is www.dgrisset.com, and there'll be a link there where you could purchase a book. Um, Yes, that's it. And I can also be contacted at that website as well as Twitter at the letter D, G-R-I-S-S-E-T-T, my Twitter account. Are you on any other social networks? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Google Plus, Pinterest? Yes, I'm on Facebook. 
And I have a long name on Facebook. It's Demetria D. Alexander. <laughs> I'm sorry, Demetria D. Michelle Alexander Griffith, long name. Only because growing up, you know, I was always called my middle name, which is Michelle. And Alexander's my maiden name. Griffith's my married name. And, of course, Demetria is my legal name, but everyone calls me D. So that's where all those five names come into play. <laughs> but you can get that information from my website. If you go to my website, it has the link to my Facebook page. And I also have a page just for the book, In Sickness and In Health. With an okay. exclamation um, posture at the end. Are you open to speaking at group events, whether it's a church, a community, a civic organization? Are you open to that? And if so, how would someone contact you if they want you to come speak at one of their upcoming events? I am open, and uh, they can contact me, again, through my website, my Email address is on there, but I can also give it out. It's author at com is my email address. Author at com. okay. Mm-hmm. And so you, that is and also you said, on my website under the contact me. There are several you know, ways to contact me. Okay. What last words of encouragement or advice, D, would you like to leave with our off-the-shelf listeners today? Just whatever you're going through, to keep the faith and to keep going because you never know what's on the other side. Mm. Okay. And this is coming from someone, uh, uh, D. Grissett, Demetria. I love her first name. But she goes <laughs> by D, who he knows what it's like to feel like you can't go on. And what a shock. I can only imagine. I mean, I, I, I can only imagine um, to, to feel like you just can't. You can't make it. You can't go on and you're done. You're finished. And to keep going. I was just thinking about that yesterday, the times in my life when I felt like, you know what, I can't do no more. I'm done. Uh, and then you keep going because just this curiosity to know what will the end, the final result be like. And you never find that out. If you quit, you'll never know what could have come of your life, even in the darkest moments, if you quit. But if you keep going, at the end, you can say, ah, especially if you follow if you spot, follow our creator's instructions and guidance, you can look back even and see, ah, this is how it all worked. This is how, mm-hmm. but if you quit, you, you'll never know. So we are really honored to have uh, spoken with, and I'm going to do her full name again because it's just beautiful. Demetria Grissett. <laughs> Demetria D. Grissett, who's a native of Baltimore, Maryland. She now makes her home in North Carolina. She's a member of Oak Grove Missionary Baptist Church. And today she is a career and technical education coordinator. She's been in education for more than 25 years. She's the author of the book, uh, in Sickness and in Health, a journalized account of coping with multiple myeloma. And you can visit her online at dgrissette.com, D-E-E-G-R-I-S-S-E-T-T.com. We want to thank Dee for being here with us, and we thank each of you, our off-the-shelf listeners. Please come back next Saturday where we will have another awesome guest. Who And, and I, I just thank Dee for what everything she shared, not only in her book, but also here on the show today at Off the Shelf. As I always tell you, you guys are so awesome. You're amazing. You're fabulous. 
Please go out and create a wonderful, awesome day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 o'clock. Dee, I'll shoot you an email. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Dee. Please go support Dee Grisette, you guys. Bye for now. Thank you.